Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is April 3rd, and as I said last Sunday, it must be Sunday it snowed. Our scripture today comes from Luke 7, 36 through 50. Um, I'm going to be reading from the Revised Standard Version, so it may look a little different than what you're seeing up on the screen. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and went into the Pharisees, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to Jesus, um, if this man were a prophet, or said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what that sort of person is, this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said to you, and he answered, what is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debts. One who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my head, my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, love little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Blessed is the word. Amen. A short introduction for our brother Jeff. He is a, um, you have, he has pastored, he has served the denomination at um, the Bethany Theological Seminary, he has served as the director and now the director emeritus for the Young Center at Elizabethtown College where he also taught some. And this is usually where I insert a joke about the superiority of Elizabethtown College. And I don't need to because you already all know it, Manchester folks. So I would like to welcome Brother Jeff up to deliver the message this morning. Thank you for a very fine introduction. Thank you all for inviting me here to speak. Um, I hope that by the end of the day, uh, you won't be saying, boy, we can't wait to hear Andrew again. <laughs> but it is a blessing to be here with you 
thank you for coming out uh, in the snow and in the cold. And it's a blessing to share worship and fellowship uh, in your midst. Thank you to the choir for lifting your voices to praise God in a way that builds up the rest of us in our faith, our faith as well. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and in love. Please pray with me. Glorious God, we count it joy to be together as sisters and brothers to worship you this day and to remember again joyfully the miracle of your raising our Lord Jesus from the dead to life everlasting. As we have heard your sacred written word read to us aloud, as we have read it with our eyes, now we pray that the living word Jesus Christ will speak to us in our hearts and minds. May these words be edifying to your body, and may they bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I am curious, uh, do any of you uh, have families that have family reunions outdoors at public parks, picnic shelters? Those might be, a, oh, okay, okay. I was thinking those might be a thing of the past, but... Uh, Glad to know few people have had, some of you have had that experience, right? Where the family all gets together at the picnic shelter at the park and everyone's glad to see everybody. Well, you know, in my own personal family, that would be a very small affair. Even when I had most of my relatives still living, it would have been a small affair. But uh, I know some families, uh, there can be dozens, dozens of people. In the case of my wife or uh, on either side of her parents' family, uh, it, it could be close to 100 if they all showed up. Well, I went to college at one of those Brennan colleges a little farther west. I went to McPherson College in Kansas, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Brother Andrew has stepped away from the pulpit so he doesn't need to make a little comment about uh, McPherson. I grew up in Middletown, Ohio, a long way south from here, uh, but there were many Manchester and a few Elizabethtown grads there, and uh, you can only imagine the teasing I got for going so far west uh, to McPherson. But in the town of McPherson, not far from the college, there is a large city park with a lot of these picnic pavilions there. And in the spring, uh, a little bit later than right now, late April, early May, families would start to have reunions there, and I don't know who the families were, I'm sure they were families from, from the area. Well, sometimes we college students would be taking walks down by the park on Saturday or Sunday afternoon and uh, see all these people and these tables loaded and loaded with food. Uh, I, always admire, I always admired that these families got along well enough to, to eat together. But my wife and I had two friends who were in the women's dorm who, uh, who always admired that and always thought that the food would be really good, better than the college cafeteria. And they always said they planned to walk in and help themselves and fill their plates and hope that they would not be caught as uninvited guests crashing the family reunion. 
And they even had a line they had invented and practiced. They planned to say, if anyone asked you, well, who are you? They were going to say, oh, we're Bob's kids. Well, I don't know that they actually ever did that. And uh, so I don't know if they ever got a chance to find out uh, whether they'd be caught as uninvited guests. In the story we heard from the Gospel of Luke, there certainly is an uninvited guest. And uh, I very much appreciate this sketch that's uh, part of the, the visual for today. And it makes me wonder if it might be a Rembrandt sketch, but I don't know for sure. And it doesn't matter. Uh, but there's an uninvited guest. Now, Jesus is the invited guest. He is invited to a fancy dinner. And as Andrew said so nicely in the children's story, for which I'm thankful, uh, the key to this to understanding the setting for this dinner uh, is in verse 36, where uh, Luke tells us that Jesus reclined at table. Uh, in the RSV, it says he took his place, but the NIV, it says he reclined, and that's the right Greek word, recline. And Andrew showed us how you would recline at table. Now, uh, sometimes the Jews ate just, you know, the daily meal at a, at a little table. But if you were throwing a banquet with specially invited guests, you would have these tables that would be low to the ground, and people would eat in the style of the Greeks and the Romans. And so they would recline, they would lie on their left side. Let's say left. So and you might use your head to prop yourself. And then with your right hand, just as Andrew said, you would reach to the table for those dainty morsels, maybe olives, maybe grapes, maybe figs, maybe some pieces of smoked fish, surely some bread, and you would just eat luxuriously and slowly. Now, the purpose of these banquets was not to eat, although, you know, that's what you like to show off. The real purpose is to be seen among important people. And there was always a special seating order. And at the banquet, the most important guests sit closest to the party giver. And the farther away you get, the lower your status. And uh, if you were at the far edge, well, you were just lucky to be at the, be at the banquet. Now, while the courses were being served, you would have delightful conversation. And maybe if this were a really good banquet, the party thrower would invite someone to come in and play the harp, play some soft background music, or maybe somewhere between courses, uh, the, a, a person would come in and tell a story. So this is the kind of impressive banquet to which Jesus has been invited and perhaps he was seated close to the host, a Pharisee. Uh, but a certain woman was not invited. She was the uninvited guest. And uh, at banquets sometimes like this, um, if the party thrower, the host, were kindly inclined toward poor people, uh, the doors would be left open and... Uh, uh, the poor could come in near the end of the banquet and they could gather crumbs off the floor, but they could not say anything and then, and then leave. Uh, now, if the host were not inclined uh, to help the poor, 
Then the dogs came in and ate the crumbs off the floor. But either way, you, tell, you can tell uh, where the poor fit in the, uh, in the hierarchy there. Now, uh, this woman came in, and she stood behind Jesus. You can imagine he's reclining, leaning on his left hand, eating this way, so his legs are sticking out. Now, the nice thing about the sketch is it sort of portrays how we would imagine this scene happening the way we eat at, on chairs at tables. But if you were thinking about first century Greek practice, uh, Jesus would be actually lying on the floor, and the table would only be a few inches up, and all the other guests and the host would be reclining like that as well. And this woman who's the uninvited guest comes in. She comes in, and because of the way Jesus is lying, she can stand behind his feet. And she begins to weep. And as Andrew said in the children's story, her tears flowed so generously that it got his, his feet wet. After her tears started to wet his feet, she lowered her veil and loosened her hair so that she could use her hair to dry the tears from his feet. She kissed his feet, and then she brought out an alabaster flask full of perfumed ointment. Now, alabaster flasks, alabaster flasks were thought of as the best uh, uh, vessel to store this kind of uh, ointment in. And usually these flasks were sealed. A stone uh, uh, lid would be put into the flask or on the top of it in a way that it couldn't be open. The only way you could get the ointment out was to smash it and break it. Now, of course, if you broke the bottle, well, you have to use all the ointment. You can't uh, just dab a little bit on and then put the lid on and take it back home. So to use a flask like this to anoint Jesus' feet was to give the whole amount of this costly ointment. She spared no expense to show her devotion to Jesus. And from uh, kissing his feet, washing them with her tears, letting down her hair, she humbled herself before him standing behind him, kneeling behind him as he ate, showed that she did not think herself worthy to talk directly to Jesus. We never know who this woman is. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her. Luke tells us that she was a known sinner, a woman of the town. Now, dozens of male commentators have suggested that she was a prostitute. Now, Luke does not say she was a prostitute. I think those words say more about the commentators than they do about the woman. There's no shred of evidence in this story to support that that was what made her a sinner. I've wondered sometimes, maybe she was the manager for a large corporate hedge fund. Maybe she was embezzling some money out of the local Hadassah Guild, the Ladies' Aid Society. Maybe she didn't keep her kosher kitchen right. Maybe she was the town gossip and everyone knew it. We don't know a thing about her sins. We know she's a woman of wealth. 
But the most important thing is she knows that she needs forgiveness. And she comes and humbles herself before Jesus and spares no expense to show total love, total gratitude, and total affection for the gift of forgiveness. Who is this woman? We don't, we don't know who she is. The Pharisee knows that she is a sinner and that she's uninvited. And we hear Simon thinking to himself, not about this woman, but about Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he really is a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is who is touching him. If Jesus is really this great religious leader, if he's really the rabbi with this kind of insight, he would know who she is and he would not let her touch him, especially not on the feet. She's violating all the social conventions of their time. The Pharisee was convinced Jesus must be a fake. He's not a real prophet. He doesn't know what kind of woman this is. Now at this banquet, uh, the Pharisee did not have a harp player or a storyteller. So Jesus tells a little story. And here's how the story goes. There's a man to whom two different people owe money. One of them owes 50 denarii. That's 50 days worth of wages. A little short of two months worth of work is what one man owes to the moneylender. The other man owes 500 denarii, the equivalent of 500 days of work, just a little short of two years. As the plot thickens, neither one of these debtors can pay back what they own, what they owe. Neither the man who owes 50 denarii nor the man who owes 500. Now, if you were a moneylender, and I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud, if you were a moneylender, what would you do? Would you ask for a repayment plan? Maybe you'd consider garnishing their wages. Maybe you could put a lien on their property. Maybe you want to take these people to court and sue them till you get back every last penny that they rightly or that they owe you and rightly should repay you. Of course, some lenders might hire a thug to go beat them up a little bit, but I know none of you would do that. None of them can repay. Neither of the two men can repay. And as Jesus tells the story, the money lender forgives them both. Now, I have often wondered, why would the moneylender pass up all of this debt? I don't know if he was, we don't know if he's wealthy enough or she's wealthy enough uh, that can easily forego this amount of money. At least you would think a repayment plan or a partial repayment is in order. But not with this lender. This lender completely forgives both debts. And I often wonder, why would he do that? Luke doesn't tell, Jesus doesn't tell. 
except that the lender knows they can't repay. That's the only reason to forgive and cancel their debt. The lender knows they can't pay for it. We don't know if they asked for a break. We don't know if they pleaded for more time. We don't know if they tried to bargain to say, I'll pay it back with more interest. All we know is Jesus forgave. He canceled the debts completely. He, gave, he, for, he forgave the debts fully out of his own generosity. Earlier in the story, I asked, Why, who is this woman that has come in? But now, as we hear the story of the creditors, we might ask, who is this moneylender? Who is this person that forgives debts big and little? What kind of person cancels debts just because they can't pay? That's the good news of this story. The good news of the gospel is that God is in the business of canceling debt. God in generous love, knows that we can never do enough to pay back the debt we owe for our sins. God's own Son, Jesus, the Christ, is the one who has come into our world and has come to offer forgiveness and to cancel debts for anyone who will believe and take God up on the offer. Many of Luke's stories seem to set up two characters, and some of the characters seem to be, have, or some of the stories seem to have one clearly good character and one clearly bad character. And as we first hear this story, we might be tempted to think that the Pharisee is clearly the good person because he's invited Jesus to a lavish feast. And this woman must be the bad person because everyone knows she's a sinner. But sometimes the stories of Luke take a twist that we might not expect. In this story, I like to think of myself because of my faith in being a preacher and a religious teacher, uh, that, that I am the good character. I want to think I would have invited Jesus to this dinner and I would like to think I'd be very careful to follow all the rules and to be a good person. I really would like to be good and sometimes I like to be seen as a good person. And the more I look at myself in this story, I see that maybe I am more like Simon the Pharisee and maybe Simon and I are the obvious sinners. Maybe the effort to look so good and to try so hard to be obedient is really the kind of flaw, the kind of shortfall that makes me a sinner. Perhaps like Simon, I'd like to pass over the niceties and not offer Jesus the full hospitality. Maybe I would not have had a slave there to wash Jesus' feet. Maybe I just want to put a little dab of ointment on Jesus' feet. And uh, uh, perhaps a simple hello 
would be good enough for a greeting. In this story, the obvious sinner, the woman everyone knows as a sinner, comes in to offer lavish love to Jesus in gratitude. When Simon the Pharisee provided no slave to wash feet of the arriving guests, this woman weeps in gratitude for forgiveness to cleanse the feet of Jesus. When Simon offers no oil for the uh, guests to rub on their faces, a kind of washing up or freshening up when you arrive, this woman pours out uh, expensive perfume for the feet of Jesus. And when Simon should have greeted his guest, the male guest, with a kiss on the cheek, Simon didn't do that act of hospitality and greeting. But the woman never stops kissing Jesus' feet as a sign of humbleness and a sign of desire to express gratitude to Jesus. Maybe the woman who seems like the obvious sinner at the outset of the story is not the obvious sinner. And maybe the person who seems like the obvious good character has some of the traits of the obvious sinner. I know within me the temptations of sin are every bit as present as those that would have been in the woman and also the ones of Simon. And so when I read this story and ask, well, who is this woman and who is Simon? It's harder to tell which one is the real obvious sinner. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that whether our sins in our own minds seem few or they seem many, God is gracious to cancel the debt of our sin. And the more we realize our gratitude for forgiveness, perhaps the greater we'll see the account stacking up for our need for forgiveness. I know that the sin that God forgives in my life is at least worth 500 days worth of work. And I know I can never pay back by being good enough or trying hard enough for the grace and forgiveness I desire so deeply. Ever since my own conversion to Christian faith and many times since, I am aware that only by Jesus do I have the hope for forgiveness. Only he has that lavish generosity to forgive my sins in the same way he forgave the woman, in the same way that the story about the two debtors announces the forgiveness of both sets of sins. And the wonderful good news of this story is that at the end of the events of the evening, Jesus tells the woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now, as Jesus tells that story, and as he tells her her sins are forgiven, the rest of the crowd reacts and bristles. 
Who is this person? Who is this Jesus claiming the power and authority to forgive sins? The good news is that Jesus does forgive sins and that Jesus is authorized to do that. And whether we see ourselves as great sinners or whether we maybe think we're not so bad after all, we all need that lavish generosity of forgiveness. And the joy of this story is that with sins forgiven, we can go in peace if only we seek and accept that forgiveness. In this story, each of us is partly Simon the Pharisee, partly the woman. I know I certainly am. And the goodness, the good news is that God forgives freely. God takes away our sins. God will empty our hearts of bitterness, of resentment, of trying to keep score for other people's debts so that we may be forgiven and go in peace. We are invited to receive that forgiveness and to express our gratitude to God with the same kind of love and devotion that the woman showed, and as Jesus teaches at many other times, as we have been forgiven, we are invited to find the people in our lives to forgive in the same generous spirit. Only God's abundant love can forgive our sins if we realize how much we have been forgiven God will show us ways to express that abundant love to others near and far those who are forgiven only a little love only a little in this story we find out the good news of someone who is forgiven much and loves much. May we also rejoice to know that we are forgiven much. May we love much, and may we go in peace. Amen. As we prepare to go out into this world, I'm reminded of the story of John Newton whose name may not be familiar right offhand, but you know his song. The story goes that he lived the life of a ship captain, not just a ship captain, but a slave ship captain. And as he sat in the boat, struggling with what he heard down below, slowly his heart being turned. He wrote some immortal words that have become perhaps our most famous hymn, though not brethren, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a single Christian that does not know and sing his words regularly. I'm looking at the wrong page. There you go. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. A man whose life, let's face it, in that day and age, it could not have been much more sinful. But out of that sin, he found forgiveness and he found grace. And out of that, we have been given a gift of a song that turns our hearts ever back towards God. It reminds us that there is grace no matter what road we have walked down. So I thank Brother Jeff for his words today as they have reminded us of that. And may we, as we step out of these doors today, be reminded of that amazing grace that is offered to every one of us. And may we, we be so joyful that we cry so hard that it wets feet enough to wash. Such an amazing gift. Amen.